Stay sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. All the people who make these Hitler comparisons, which are never apt, never apt. We should just stop doing that. These Hitler comparisons, five years from now, six years from now, when this deal holds, we'll come back and say, I said a lousy thing back in 2015. She's not alone. The number of classes geared toward teaching adults how to adult is growing. Rachel Flanger co-founded the aptly named Adulting School in Portland, Maine. This month, she's launching online classes geared toward millennials anywhere who want to know how to sew a button, understand modern art, or tell someone they love them. How to have a relationship. What a crowd, what power, what beautiful people. I see you all week, and now I have to see you once again to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Now, Stacy Washington. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. If you're watching online, share the show, retweet the Periscope, definitely send this out to your friends on Facebook. Let us be heard all over, far and wide, everywhere where there are people who can listen with ears. They should be listening to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So welcome back to the show. Let's go to the phones. We have someone who held over from last hour. Fantastic to have you on, Andy in Georgia. Thanks for holding on for uh for an opportunity for us to hear your comment. Hello? Hi, welcome to the show. How you doing? Well, what's your comment? My comment is, based on the, the prison reform you were talking about earlier, I actually did some time in prison in uh, five years ago when I was younger. And the thing is, I think what we would need in there is uh, some teaching on family structure. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people in there, most of the 99% of people locked up, especially the men, have no idea what it is to be a father or a daddy or a father figure. You mm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, it's true. Um, and I think that's a part of uh, – some of our other guests that have come on the program have mentioned that that is something that is included, which it's kind of life skills type stuff that's included – and that would touch on some of the things that you don't learn if you come from a broken home or, or a, you know, a, a disadvantaged environment. And I think that's very appropriate. But we, we, need, um, we need to also address this at the root. It's one thing for us to reform our prisons and everything. And, and we should be constantly looking for ways to rehabilitate people and make them viable citizens upon reentry into society. But we also have to be looking at how we can stop and stem the tide of so many broken families and we can't stop them all human beings. We are fallen creatures. We are not going to be able to have a hundred percent efficacy at maintaining intact families, et cetera, et cetera. But we could do better. Oh, we could do better. The more technology and advancement we seem to get, the, the less people seem to understand that it's the very basic tenets that are going to be the most important thing um, that we have to hold fast to Christ. And then, make it our business to stick it out through those tough times and to make our reliance on him the central part of what we're doing every day, relying on God and and letting him uh, bear our burdens and, and take care of these problems, which, you know, if we're not doing that, then how can we even begin to expect good results? So now I want to switch over to Elizabeth Warren. Yes, guys. Remember we talked about how she was going to 
uh, possibly run in 2020. And now her campaign's falling apart because people are really upset about her whole, I'm an Indian thing. I did a DNA test. I'm totally an Indian. When in reality, she's no more Indian than lots of other white people in America. Because most white people in America have at least a little bit of Indian lineage in there. Um, you know, if you've been here for a few generations. And so she's trying to figure out what to do. She's really concerned with getting this thing, uh, you know, get, getting it back on the tracks. It's, it's become decoupled from the tracks. And she's trying to figure out how to get, how to get it back going again. And so she says um, at this meeting that she's at, that she's not actually a person of color. And this is huge for her. It's a total reversal. Because I, w- I also have audio of her saying she is a person of color. So she's definitely changing her tune. Here she is in number one. I'm not a person of color. And I haven't lived your life or experienced anything like the subtle prejudice or more overt harm that you may have experienced just because of the color of your skin. But rules matter. And our government not just individuals within the government, but the government itself has systematically discriminated against black people in this country. All right. So whether or not we want to get into a big, long discussion about systematic discrimination, she's basically speaking to this group of black students and it's, this, it's a pivotal moment for her because she's speaking to a largely minority audience. So she's in this space to make amends for what she has said. And she starts off with the declaration that she's not a person of color. And again, we could go for three more segments about why this whole focus is wrong and incorrect. There is racism still in America. There will always be some kind of racism because human beings are fallen and we need a savior. Just like there'll always be some shoplifting, some murder, some, you know, embezzlement, any kind of sin there is to get into. If there are people around, they're going to get into it. The problem that she's going to face is that there are too many of the next kind of video going on for her to start cleaning stuff up now. It's just like Joe Biden. Everybody's so excited on the left that Crazy Uncle Joe Biden, shoot, fire your, uh, your, your, your firearm, fire your shotgun out in the air. Just head out of your front, front porch. If you hear someone trying to break in, just open your front door and stick your gun in the air and just shoot that rifle into the air. You can't shoot. You can't discharge a firearm uh, out into the open air in a, you know, a suburban area or a public area. It, that's not allowed to do anywhere. It's the fastest way to get the cops to come over and arrest you. He says, you'll scare them off. But with Elizabeth Warren focusing on this at a, at a historically black college, what she's doing is she's laying the groundwork to say that black audiences support her. Black audiences have heard her and they've moved on. She's trying to move black audiences on from her faux pas with the whole DNA test by speaking to black audiences as if we're still in the Jim Crow era. If you're sitting at a historically black college in America today, receiving increased federal funds and assistance from the U.S. government and taxpayers because Donald Trump actually initiated that action after he became president, it's kind of hard for you to accept what she's saying while you're while you're sitting there, or at least it should be. 
we know for a fact that if we had a black president, which we did, we had a black attorney general, which we did, and Oprah Winfrey still swans among us with her thousand oak trees in her property and, you know, in the front yard of her property in California and 30 coats of paint on the walls inside because she just liked the essence of having the thicker paint. We know that hard work in this country pays off. It pays off in spades and not just any old kind of hard work, hard work towards a specific goal. It doesn't matter what kind of tan you're sporting or lack of tan. If you're willing to put aside even the things you really, you know, your, your favorite fun things that you like to do. If you're willing to say no TV until I finish this degree or no, no, uh, no going out and, and eating out until I finish paying for this extra class or this continuing education or uh, retraining into another career field. If you're willing to sacrifice something to get where you're looking to get to your goal. You're going to get there and you're going to find people fighting to have you come work for them, fighting for your time. They're going to be interested and they're going to make room for you and they're going to demand the opportunity to pay you for your services. That is the focus that we should be having. And especially for graduates at a college or people who are sitting at college and they're, they're working towards their degrees, institutionalized racism is not what it was when Elizabeth Warren's parents were in existence. Now, uh, don't take my word for it. Here she is. Big Chief Liz Warren saying her Indian parents, mind you, if her parents were Indian, she would be more than 0.012 Indian. But I I guess facts just don't matter. She says her Indian parents couldn't marry because of white racism. It's number two. Actually, you have it wrong about what it is, I believe. Mm -hmm. Let's let's start there. Tell us what we're doing. Okay. My mom and dad. Uh, were very much in love with each other and they wanted to get married and my father's parents said absolutely not you can't marry her because she's part Cherokee and she's part Delaware and um, after fighting it as long as they could my parents went off they eloped it was an issue in our family now Elizabeth Warren is just as pale as she can get with blue eyes and God bless her because that's you know there's nothing wrong with being who you are but her mom was part Delaware and part Cherokee. We now know that to be an utter falsehood. She says she has high cheekbones. So do a lot of people. Indians aren't the only people who have high cheekbones. And irrelevant, now that she put the DNA test out, now all of these previous stories she's told, and we can dig up a ton of them, where she's on camera, she knows the cameras are rolling, and she is lying through her teeth about this so-called Indian ancestry. It's not true. So her parents were not forced to elope because her mom was an Indian. There's none of these things are factual. So instead of focusing on the fact that she has an obsession with being an Indian, let's focus on the fact that she has an obsession with telling lies. Is that someone we want to be the president? For the same group of people who claim to care that President Trump so-called utters lies, which we, we actually know that's not true. He has been incorrect on a few things like the crowd size at his inauguration. But the other things he's saying are true about the illegal aliens, the rapes, the murders, the kidnappings, the beatings, the gun crimes, all true. The things he said about other countries not being as good as this country, true. The things he said about uh, Mexico not sending their best, true. The things he said about the black community voting for him, what have you got to lose, true. We could go down the list on and on and on. There's hundreds of things that he said that are utterly true that the media has categorized as false because they're inconvenient to their narrative. But let's just focus on the future. 
if you're really committed to the truth, then you know that Elizabeth Warren can't be your candidate. She can't be the one that you're voting for because she does not care for the truth. She cares for twisting her own familial history to suit a narrative that makes her more friendly to minorities instead of just owning it. I'm rich. I'm white. I live in Connecticut. My house is worth $4 million. I'm worth a few million dollars. And, you know, I want to be the president. I feel just as ordained as Hillary Clinton to be the president. And if I have anything to do with it, I will be the next or first female president, but I'll be the next president of the United States. It won't be Hillary. That's what she should say. And I know that would turn some people off, but I think a lot of people would just be like, and so there it is. There's the facts. Now, do we like her? Do we like that guy? Or do we like, you know, Kamala Harris or Cory Booker or whoever they're going to be putting forward or, or is creepy Joe Biden the best we can do? All the images of him. I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's a brain trust of images in, on the Internet of him gripping women by the shoulders, sitting behind them in his office at the White House. Um, you know, all, all of this going on in front of their husbands, the little girls, he's gripping them and sniffing their hair, sniffing their shoulders, going in close for a backwards hug. You know, that's the kind of stuff that would normally get a man punched down to the ground. A dad sees a grown man old enough to be a girl's grandfather or great grandfather in his case, hunched over her, leaning in, and she's clearly uncomfortable and trying to get away. And he's got her locked by the shoulders and he's sniffing her hair. I'm surprised he's never been punched down to the ground. It just hasn't been the right families. And, you know, predators are like that. They can smell the availability, the enablement. They'll, they'll go in on kids who they know the parents are just too civilized to do anything about it. But if they see a man who's just basically bathed in testosterone and his daughter is standing there and they want to go in for a little squeeze and grip and sniff, they know I can grip and I can squeeze, but I'm going to get punched down to the ground. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift myself back up with a black eye and Secret Service is going to have to haul that man out of here kicking and screaming and he's going to break some furniture. So I better not sniff his daughter. That's one of the candidates that the Democrats are going to put forward for president. I can't wait. If it's him, it's going to be memes all day, every day. I will not stop sharing them. and I'll probably get booted off, but so be it. I'm going to have some fun if it's Joe Biden. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Seton Motley, founder of Less Government. Stay right there. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, Stephen McDowell has been a personal friend of mine for a couple of decades now. He is one of the best historians I know. He is president of the Providence Foundation, and no one documents early American history, especially the Christian aspect of early American history, better than my friend Stephen McDowell. He is going with us on our spiritual heritage tours, and he'll be talking all along the way and answering questions, and you're going to enjoy spending time with him if you're able to go with us in June or September. Again, we're going to Washington, D.C. and Mount Vernon, and we're also going on a separate trip to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. So if you'd like to go on either one of these or both of them, contact us at spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with The Legacy Moment. Have you ever felt overwhelmed, buried in the blizzard of activities, demands, and responsibilities to the point where you start responding and reacting rather than doing things intentionally? Well, here's a tip from the president of Campus Crusade for Christ, Dr. Steve Douglas. He says, make a list of all the things you have to do. Then next to each item on the list, you put TP, standing for top priority, HP, high priority, MP, middle priority, or LP, low priority. When you look at the top priority things and you can get those done, there's a feeling of accomplishment and direction. It's important to learn and focus on what is really important to do. Even more importantly, what is it that God wants us to do? Jesus modeled this throughout his earthly ministry. Listen to what he prayed on the night he was betrayed in John chapter 17, verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is an incredible verse. Look at the past tense, having accomplished the work. When Jesus died, there were more people that needed to be healed. They weren't all his followers. Jesus didn't do everything, but he did everything God called him to do. Too many of us are just getting killed, literally dying, doing good things. The question we need to be asking is, am I doing all that God wants me to do right now? Is this his top priority for me? Well, here's what I want you to remember today. If you're feeling overwhelmed today, just push the pause button. Maybe get an accountability partner and go over your list of stuff that you're involved in and weed those things out. Spend some time praying over them. Then ask God to show you what to do and what to go after. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. You can find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. You can even watch that video of the heartwarming story of the Secret Santa his, his, and his elf, his homeless elf, uh, giving out the $100 bills to the strangers. Uh, on the streets of Philadelphia, you would love that story. It's at StacyOnTheRight.com. And um, if you go there and you don't want to subscribe, that box that pops up, just click anywhere outside of it and you don't have to subscribe. If you want to subscribe, I welcome you. But if you don't want to, you don't have to subscribe and then unsubscribe later. Um, just click anywhere outside the box. We, we, we are not into forcing people over here at uh, SOTR. So... Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome a good friend of mine, Seton Motley. He's the founder of Less Government. Seton, thank you for joining the show today. Thank you very much, Chris. Okay, so let's talk about this. Um, you actually came on the show, um, and I'm not even going to say how many months or if it was a year or two ago, to talk about this whole net neutrality thing and how everyone was lying about it. And so it turns out that net neutrality was canceled, and Ajit Pai really that man is a warrior of the best sort to go through what he went through over something as inconsequential as what this turned out to be. And so you've written over at lessgovernment.com about how the internet is faster than it was when we had net neutrality, which was supposed to make it faster. So talk to us about how this was a huge nothing burger and we should be so grateful. Well, yes. Um, you know, the first thing we have to keep in mind is for the first 25 years of the internet, there were no net neutrality regulations. And nothing happened bad. You know, the, the claim is, you know, Internet service providers like Comcast and Verizon will block you without net neutrality regulations. Well, in 25 years, that never happened. 
Um, meanwhile, by the way, who is blocking? All mm. Google and Twitter and Facebook mm-hmm. and all the companies that want net neutrality regulations on the, on the uh, Internet providers, but not on themselves. That being said, so the, the status quo normal situation for the Internet is no net neutrality regulation. Uh, the free market took care of it quite nicely. Thank you very much. So when they say, you know, they've ruined the Internet as we know it, that's not true. In 2015, Barack Obama unilaterally imposed net neutrality regulations, huge what's called Title II, which means you're regulating the entire network of the Internet like a landline phone line one-to-one connection, which is insane and stupid. Well, a year ago, last week, the Trump administration undid the Barack Obama power grab imposition, which means they just restored the previous 25-year regulatory status quo. And I think speeds are up 40% this year on the Internet in the United States. And I think you, what, what you may be seeing is like, you know, uh, it's, it's holdover. With, with, the, uh, with the 2015 rules in place until they were repealed last year, you're talking about, you know, two, two years plus of these rules in place. And it, it, uh, investment went down. Um, every, everything you'd expect to go down with more regulations went down. Everything you'd expect to happen with more regulations happened. And then, you know, it was like getting out of jail a year ago when Trump unleashed it um, and, and undid it. And as a result, you, I think you're getting, you know, if, if, if those speed increases were spread out over three years without those rules in place, it would have been, you know, 10% here, 15% a year, uh, you know, 10% another year. But because it was all jammed up by the regulations, you had this massive explosion increase in speed once the free market was restored to the Internet. And, you know, all these stories about all these things that would, would happen a year ago when they, when they rolled back these regulations, I, I linked, I don't know, 20, you saw the piece, you know, mm-hmm. 20 headlines from a year ago about all the parade of horribles that would happen once the, the Trump administration undid this. And they undid it, and then a year later, none of those things have come true. And, you know, like you said, and I should have made this point in the piece, it's a very important point, that uh, Trump's head of the Federal Communications Commission, Ajit Pai, who's an Indian guy, his parents are from India, and, um, uh, you know, the hell he went through and his family went through, and these idiots showed up at his house and were taking pictures inside his house and, and putting them on the net and, and all these things, oh, you know, to, to try to scare him into not undoing these stupid regulations. Well, he undid the regulations, and none of the things they said were going to happen happened, and he had to go through this, which is which, look, which is nonsense. Even if the policy did result in in uh, worse conditions for the internet, you don't do that to people's families. I don't care what the hell's going on. So uh, the fact that nothing happened is is even dumber. So I just wanted to, you know, and a lot of people have done this on the net, uh, the year anniversary of just looking at this and saying. Okay, here's it's been a year. How their how their predictions turn out, and the answer is pretty pretty <laughs> inaccurately, to say the least. So, I know this is a question. There's really no answer, but I have to ask it because at, when you talk about people going to people's houses and trespassing and uh, terrorizing, you know, Ajit Pai's family, you you're talking about activists who are. They're convinced that net neutrality, I saw people tweeting about this, that people will die. 
People will die if we don't have net neutrality. But no, not only has no one died, the Internet's faster, which if you're addicted to the Internet like these millennials are and these these activists, they're addicted to it. They, they should be so happy. They should be bowing down to their phones and they should have the, you know, the picture of a zip pie up while they're bowing down. Th- this is exactly monumentally the opposite of what they predicted. Have you seen anyone acknowledge that this is so and that, the, that we don't <laughs> no, need net neutrality? No, in fact, I, I linked to another 20 stories uh, in the media now since the, you know, uh, on or about the year anniversary where they're still telling the same lies. They're still saying, you know, they say the Internet hasn't gotten slower yet. <laughs> you know, the no. Internet hasn't gotten more expensive <laughs> yet. You know, they're, 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 they're pretending that this year uh, of restoration of the 25-year status quo is an aberration. The 26 years of successful Internet explosion, because remember 25 years ago, most people said, what's the Internet? And now it's one-sixth of our economy. And it got there because we didn't regulate it like they want to regulate it. And, and after this two-year hiatus with this government imposition, we're back to the normal. We're back to increased speeds uh, relatively. You know, the, yes, Internet has gotten more expensive, but if you extrapolate out the price you're paying 20 years ago and the speed you're getting 20 years ago to the speed you're getting now and the price you're paying now, the price per kilobit is dramatically lower. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so it, it just keeps getting better and better and better the more we leave it alone. And they don't, they don't want to recognize that. They're, you know, uh, I, I quoted Joseph Goebbels. You know, you have to tell the, the big lie, big and huge, and you have to shield the people from the truth because that's the only way you can continue to ensconce the lie. And the truth, you know, it's it's Groucho Marx. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Am I going to read these twenty stories and see hear how horrible the internet's going to be without net neutrality regulations, or am I going to look at the fact that the internet got forty percent faster in the last year without the regulation? Forty percent, which I have to stress, Seton, that is a monumental increase in speed. If you consider, I mean, I, I remember reading articles about how people in certain other you know, foreign countries like Japan and places like that had faster internet than we had. And that was because they had something like net neutrality, which I'm, I'm completely predisposed no, 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 to no. not what believe. What they don't tell you, the, the dirty little secret on, on, on internet speeds, a lot of it is geography, how much geography you have. Yes, Japan has fast internet because they're the size of Rhode Island. <laughs> right. So they don't have to dig a bunch of trenches, right? They can go end to end. You know, the, the, uh, I, there's a comedian I like from Australia who moved to Ireland, he said, I got, I got guys in Australia that can mow Ireland. Um, and, you know, that's, that's how big Japan is. It's not very hard to connect a country the size of Japan. And then, because once you connect it, then you can start building the speeds. You know, it's why short bodybuilders build muscle faster than tall bodybuilders, because you're building on an arm that's two inches long versus <laughs> building on an arm that's 20 inches long. Well, the United States has a lot of empty space to fill. And the fact that we went up 40% in a year with this much continent to fill is unbelievably impressive. That's, and, and I agree. I, I think it's so impressive that it might be something that I can, I can hear a leftist right now because this has been done to me on so many issues. When you point out that something good has happened, they'll say, well, that's just not true. 
what what information are you oh. quoting? Where where'd you get right. that information? That's that's not forty percent faster. That's impossible. That's not true. It's obviously a right wing talking well, point they, they from denied, The other thing they denied, and this we went through both. We've gone through both ends of this now. When they imposed the regulations, investment in the internet went down, and they disputed it and disputed it and disputed. Oh, it didn't go down. It didn't go down. It didn't go down. When you could see year to year, the numbers clearly went down. Now the year after the regulations have been removed, the, the investment has gone up dramatically. Um, you know, I mean, how do you get 40% faster in a year? Because more money went into the network. I mean, this is not rocket science we're dealing with here. And they're denying that the investment went up since the regulations went away. I mean, you know, as, as, I, as, I, as I like to paraphrase uh, the love story, uh, the left never allows, allows facts to get in the way of a good beating. Well, Seton, obviously you left out one of the reasons why the investment went up, and that's because rich oligarchs were holding back the investment because they don't like net neutrality. But now that they've gotten their way and it's the wild, wild west, of course they're investing. It's always for the negative, right? It's never it's never because people are just like, wow, this environment's really conducive to me spending money well, and I want to grow. And, and keep in mind, keep in mind, it is vi- this is not a, you know, you, you've got different antes at different poker tables in the casino, right? This is not a $5 table. It is very expensive to be in the Internet business. To build out these networks is a very costly thing. So as soon as it becomes even a little bit less attractive to invest, the rich guys will put their money somewhere else because the return on investment, the, the margin is very high. The, 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 the bar of entry is very high, and the margin is pretty narrow. And if you start adding to that already very high bar, you're going to have people who just move their money elsewhere, and that's not good for the internet, obviously. So I'm I'm interested in. <laughs> I, I mean, I love a good I love a good win. I love a good story of you know leftists say X is going to happen, and instead A, B, and C happen. I love those stories. But yeah. where do you see them going with it? Because uh, one thing we know, Seton, about leftists is that they never give up. They never die. No, they they never quit. In, in they never fact, give up. In fact, there's a. Uh, are you familiar with the uh, Congressional Review Act? Yes. Well, they're trying. The Democrats have a. It's called a resolution of disapproval. Now, I don't even know if it's legal because the Congressional Review Act is written to undo regulations you didn't like. They're trying to use it to reimpose regulations that they didn't like having removed. <laughs> and there's a thing in the House where they're 38 or so votes short of a resolution of disapproval, it passed the Senate. It's a simple majority is all they need. And it it passes the House and the Senate, and then the president has to sign it, and then it it undoes what the bureaucracy did. No, I don't think they can do that to reimpose regulations, but that's a separate issue. But they're trying it that way. Of course, every leftist group in the planet, including a bunch of governments around the country are suing to reimpose, saying it's bizarre, but they're saying the Trump administration can't unilaterally undo what the Obama administration unilaterally did. It's like that stupid uh, immigration ruling where Obama just unilaterally stopped enforcing immigration law. Trump reimposes the law as written, and a judge says he can't do that. That's absurd. But you can find judges to say those stupid things. Well, they're trying to do that, too. Um, you've got different states, California, uh, Rhode Island, um, and several other. I think New York is doing it, too, where they're passing state-level 
net neutrality rules, which I think are all unconstitutional because obviously it's a world wide web. So therefore, clearly within the purview of the federal government is to set national internet policy and then go negotiate, you know, interacting with the rest of the planet. You can't have, it's a violation of the interstate commerce clause just to have 50 different state levels of regulation on the World Wide Web, but they're trying that too. I think that <laughs> argument, the interstate commerce argument, is one of the arguments the uh, industry is trying to argue when they sue to undo the California law. Um, uh, I, think Rhode, I think it was Rhode Island that did another stupid law. But uh, California, of course, is, is the biggest. Um, so, yeah, they're tr- they don't, you're right. They don't give up. They're working in multiple tracks to try to reimpose it any way they can. Um, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, so they're relentless. <laughs> well, I'm just excited about a bit of good news that, because I, first of all, I'm, I've been reading your writing on this and, and some others who've been really just ahead of the curve on we don't need net neutrality. And I really had an understanding of why we didn't need it. And so I was just waiting on when when we get the opportunity to take control again, they'll get rid of this and people will see. They'll have proof that we don't need this. I hadn't really right. anticipated well, this know, level and, and of stupidness. That's the sad thing. It's, it's like, it's like yeah, people who are like Ocasio-Cortez promoting communism or socialism. It's 2018, not 1918. We have a century of evidence that socialism doesn't work. Likewise with the Internet, we had a quarter century of Internet without net neutrality regulations. How would we do? <laughs> you know, Fantastic. Why, why are we reinventing the wheel? We know it works spectacularly without it. Why are we trying to impose it? Well, we can rely on you to write about it and tell us the truth, and we can spread the word. I've posted the link. Everybody, please go on and share this story on your Facebook pages. Tell your friends. Print it out. And, you know, memorize a few of the key points. So when someone says, you know, what we really have to do something about is that net neutrality. Just bust them out. Don't, 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 don't be nice. Bust them out. Use Seton's <laughs> links and his words. Let's get the truth out there. Seton Motley, founder of Less Government. Your piece is over at redstate.com. I'll put it up on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you, sir, for joining us today. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Talk to you soon. All right. That's Seton Motley. And I'm Stacey Washington. And we'll be back with the last segment of this show right after this. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. My good friend Johnny Erickson Tata's cancer is back, yet she sent me this incredible encouragement. There are countless Bible references telling us that God does no harm to his children, only good. Yet to some, my chronic pain, quadriplegia, cancer, and now this new cancer sure look as though God were harming me. Yes, painful hardships are the dark driving rain of God's sovereignty. But the sunshine of his sovereignty is the depth of faith, seasoned wisdom, unshakable peace, settledness of soul, unwavering devotion to Christ, and the ironclad trust that comes from walking through that valley of the shadow of death. This is the good God is talking about. Friends, 
please keep her in your prayers. Follow us on Twitter at Life Issues USA and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. There are many ways you can listen to the shows of Urban Family Talk. One of those ways is through our very own app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, just go to the App Store and search for Urban Family Talk. You'll have immediate access to 24-hour programming as well as the podcast for each show. You'll be able to tune in no matter where you are. Speaking of tuning in, we have our own channel on another radio app called TuneIn. Cool, right? Urban Family Talk is everywhere. Just download the app and take us wherever you go. The church has to take the lead in ensuring that men are properly trained for fatherhood. We have an epidemic in which boys are not growing up with their fathers. So as Christian men, we have to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that our communities are not destroyed. When we see fatherhood as a blessing and not an inconvenience, we will see children as spiritual weapons in our arsenal. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. (laughs) Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Whenever a power-hungry activist wants to infringe upon religious liberty, they refer to the separation of church and state, an evil concept created by an activist judge to limit Christian participation in public life. While God does limit the spheres of influence controlled by the church and state, His limitations lead to more liberty. God is head overall and is unsurprised by the goings-on in our society and politics. He has ordained that free men would control their homes, the church, and the state. There is no separation. When godly men rule, the people rejoice. But when evildoers control a nation, citizens groan and wail. There is no substitute for the proper order of our lives and government under God's planning and direction. When Christians pull back, evil flourishes. The Bible mandates Christian influence in government, politics, and public life. It's up to us. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. We have time for calls. It's 866-963-2037-866-963-2037. Best callers in Radioland. Coming in to American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thanks for being here. You can go to UrbanFamilyTalk.com and take our polls and read the articles by other hosts on the network. We'd love to have you do that. Hit the like button on Facebook. It's Urban Family Talk. You can find that there as well. There's an app for Urban Family Talk that you can use to listen to our programming. And you can always find us on TuneIn Radio and uh, go straight to either website, AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and you can listen live there as well. Um, On our Facebook streams and all of that, I am working extra hard and we're going to see it through. It's taking some time, but we're going to have access to streaming onto a a platform that will not censor um, the reach and ability to share, et cetera, et cetera. And so I can't wait until I've got that up and running, but pray for me and and the uh, the guys who are working on my site. It's it's not that it's so hard. It's just getting it all together and trying to do it right now. And there's there's no good time to, to embark on a new project. So 
super busy, lots going on. Oh, and we have an update on our tax documentary, the Missouri tax documentary. It is uh, pretty close to being finished. We just did the last voiceover work and on-camera work for me as the host. And so I can't wait to share that with you. It's a success story. Uh, It emulates some other states that are far ahead of us in lowering taxation. And it's a great framework for other states that have not yet embarked upon this task. And I can't wait to share it, mainly because it's my first time kind of being in this role on a project of this scale and size. And I hope that it will be a precursor for me being able to do more of this work. It was actually a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. When someone says, hey, do you want to do some interviews? That's what I do every day. Every day I interview people right here on this show. It's a totally different animal interviewing people on camera and traveling to their location. And I just bless the name of the Most High. Thank God that I was able to do it. It was a scheduling nightmare because I also had a huge project going on uh, uh, for a publication for the NRA, writing a piece that required me to do interviews of people by phone remotely. And so I was doing that as well. So lots, lots going on. I thank God for all of it. It's good experience. And it was fun to do. Uh, it's, it's fun to do work that you enjoy with interesting people and have the opportunity to be asked onto projects like this. So I'm very grateful for these, these uh, opportunities. And I hope that uh, they will, there'll be more opportunities in the future. But um, right now I want to talk about, so this don't, don't get mad now. I don't want to be ending this show on a sour note, and we won't. We'll, we'll definitely take calls um, this last segment. But in fact, we have a story to end on that's upbeat, but we'll also take your calls, um, 866-963-2037. But this story is a bit of a downer. Use it to motivate you. Super quick. It's out of England, and you know they're further along the spectrum than we are in the, the dance with socialism and liberalism and progressivism and moving towards that uh, totalitarian state where parents have very little control over their children and no one has control over what they can say in public. And this story, to me, is the epitome of what happens when nincompoops are allowed to be in charge of children, tax money, resources like schools. Never let the nincompoops rule. That should be a motto or a t-shirt. This is out of England. So they're mandating the city council of the English city of Brighton and Hove. So Brighton and Hove, England. It's a population of almost 300,000 people. So it's a big city for England. And their city council has just decided that they're approving new sex education guidelines, which instruct students to tell kids beginning at age eight, that boys can have menstrual cycles just like girls. I repeat, because you're probably, as you're driving along and you're listening to me and you're just like, what did she just say? And it doesn't get any more vulgar than this, so you don't have to flip over for the kids. It's that the time of the month bins that they have where they keep supplies to help people who are experiencing the time of the month, those bins for the waste products will also be installed in the male bathrooms on the school premises and children will be told that menstruation is inclusive of all genders and you will not be allowed to opt out of that for your kids and no one will be allowed to tell them anything differently. So they will grow up thinking that men and women all menstruate, which also means that men and women can get pregnant, right? I mean, 
So again, Pandora's box, we opened it up with the legalization of same-sex marriage, and now here we are with this drama. Now, there's been significant pushback against the new guidelines. Tory MP David Davies, (laughs) that's an interesting name, David Davies, said learning about periods is already a difficult subject for children at that age. So to throw in the idea that girls who believe there are boys also have periods will leave them completely confused. Well, it's even more fundamental than that. To throw in the idea that girls can believe they're boys and it's actually true is the problem here. It's mental illness. It should not be validated. Boys don't need bins for time of the month waste products because boys don't have menstrual cycles. I could go on and on, but I know this listening audience totally gets where I'm, where I'm at with this. You, you not only get it, you understand it's why you have to be involved with these school board officials. And honestly, if you go to your kid's school and the drama like this is going on and you go to talk to the principal, the teacher, the administrator, you go to the board of education and you get a whole lot of drama back, that's when you say, not my kid, not today. You pluck them out and you either homeschool or you, and I hear already the, the, the tuning up. Well, they have friends. Kids have friends. They make other friends. This is about making sure that your child isn't lost in a culture that is out to destroy their Christian underpinnings. And I see this a lot with people who are really obsessed with a certain type of college environment. And they're looking for the prestige of a name or the the region where the college is located or that it's an NCAA Division I or, you know, Division II. Or there's something about it that they're tuned into more than whether or not that school will permit their child's Christian worldview to flourish. And it's a battle and it costs money to send kids to college. And so all of those things play a role. Pray over the decision the same way you're praying over your kid's elementary school or their middle school or their high school. Pray over those administrators. One thing I recommend, and I'm just starting it myself, so no judging here, um, is moms in prayer. If your kid's school has a moms in prayer group, plug into that. That is how you can literally... You're the hands and feet of Christ in those buildings, praying over the teachers, the administrators, the the facility, the maintenance guys, anybody who works there, all the parents, all the kids, everything they use, the supplies, everything. You're praying over every part of it, and you're doing that on a weekly basis with other moms, and, and it's an amazing experience. It's a great way to plug in and make friends. If you're in a new building, especially if you've just transferred like we did with a couple of our kids, um, and you're doing God's work. He calls us into prayer. He calls us into the house of prayer to pray over everything we see or hear or feel or taste, everything. We pray over it. We're called to do that. So when we are obedient to him and we pray over these buildings, he will do that radical change. So it's either you're going to be in there praying and, and calling down the gates of heaven on, on this stuff. Or you're going to pluck your kid out and you're going to homeschool or put them in a building where they can have their Christian worldview uh, unmolested, which, which is exactly what is happening with they're telling the eight-year-olds that the boys can have uh, cycles as well. Okay. So here is the um, interesting kind of feel-good piece. <laughs> in addition to the Christmas story from last hour. So do you want to work four weeks but get paid for... for you want to work for four days a week, but get paid for five days a week? 
Well, this isn't in America, you guys. This is in Berlin. Reuters is reporting that even though it sounds too good to be true, companies around the world that have cut their work week found that it leads to higher productivity, more motivated staff, and less burnout. Now, I don't know how this works in America. America is in the top 10 of countries that work the most hours per week. Um, employees in America, especially salary, salaried employees, usually average between 45 and 50 hours a week. Um, the more money a person is paid, the higher up in their profession they go, the more hours they spend working. They literally, you know, you're getting paid for um, your experience and your time and grades, your education, what you're bringing to the table. But the more they're paying you, the more likely you are to be working those additional hours above 40. Um, so this is an interesting story because it's coming out of Europe. It does not take into account American work ethic and the expectation from American employers that you would do more than what they're paying you for. That is across the board. I've never worked anywhere where the people that I work for didn't expect me to do something more than what I originally was brought on to do. So what happens is they see you can do it and they're like, oh, well, obviously you're going to keep doing that. We, we, we like that. Thank you for doing that. And then you're thinking, well, I'm not getting paid for that. Well, you are. You're getting paid for that because you're getting paid to work there. And working and doing that will set you up for advancement later. But that is a uniquely American type of a thing. Uh, and I think in Japan, they're really big on that too. They just work and work and work and work. Um, so anyway, Jan Schultzhofen is the founder of the Berlin-based project management software company, Planio. They introduced a four-day work week into the company's 10-member staff earlier this year. Now, again, a tiny company like that, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but I've noticed it recently. If you go to uh, the workplace of someone who owns their own small business and it's an employer with 20 or less people or even 50 or less people, you might notice that the building, like the interior at least, really reflects that person's personal style. And they have a lot of things that larger employers don't have, like they order in lunch two or three days a week. It's on the company. Um, and they're ordering it from places that the people who work there like. It's not just, they're just not ordering pizza. Um, you'll notice that the decor, like they might have low lights. If people that work there don't like bright lights, they'll have low lighting. Um, the, the, it's like the, an extension of their house. In the holidays, they have all kinds of fun things up you know, on the walls, decorations, et cetera. And a lot of large employers have this too, but I'm talking about these smaller employers. It's like they set their workplace up like an extension of their home so they're comfortable there during the day, which is why in these smaller workplaces, you would see a 32-hour work week working for full-time employees because they're already willing to do almost anything because they love working there. They love working in an environment like that. And they're usually the very best people. So in New Zealand, an insurance company, Perpetual Guardian, reported a fall in stress and jump in staff engagement when they tested the 32-hour work week earlier this year. And even in Japan, this is in the story by Reuters, the government is encouraging companies to allow Monday mornings off, although other schemes in the workaholic country to persuade employees to take it easy have had little effect. So, you know, Japanese people are not just going to be jumping off and not working, but they have had some success with suggesting that Monday mornings be used for something personal and then coming into work. 
Now, Britain's Trades Unions Congress, TUC, is pushing for the whole country to move to a four-day work week by the end of the century, and this drive is supported by the opposition Labor Party. The TUC argues that a shorter work week is a way for workers to share in the wealth generated by new technologies like machine learning and robotics, just as they won the right to the weekend off during the Industrial Revolution. They say it would reduce the stress of juggling working and family life and could improve gender equality. You lost me there, bros. Um, Lucy Green, trends expert at a consultancy called J. Walter Thompson, said there's a growing backlash against overwork, underlined by a wave of criticism after Tesla boss Elon Musk tweeted that nobody ever changed the world on 40 hours a week. I mean, he's kind of unpopular in some circles, and so anything he says is going to be a, a you know a, a firebrand and, and ignite a lot of negative backlash. But I think there's something to be said for people being obsessed with unplugging from digital things, from their screens, from you know people wanting to find time to get back outside to get into their own pursuits. Um, if you have a lot of free time. You don't feel as if it's being infringed on by work, but if you have lots of activities and you know things that commitments that you have to answer to outside of your work, then any time where you're not on your screens and you're not doing that stuff really can have a really positive effect effect on you. It can um, ease your stress and really kind of just send you into a place where you're you're enjoying things more. And I do believe people enjoy their work more um, when they don't feel as if they're always working. So if you have a clear delineation between work and then I'm off now, I'm not working. I'm working now, I'm not working now. Those clear boundaries can help with the enjoyment of work and the enjoyment of time off. Um, recent survey of 3,000 employees in eight countries, including the United States, Britain, and Germany, found that nearly half thought they could easily finish their tasks in five hours a day if they did not have interruptions. But many are exceeding 40 hours a week anyway, with the United States leading the way where 49% said they worked overtime. So I was right. All right, that's the show for today. God bless you from the heartland. Citizens, I'll be back with you tomorrow. Have a great evening. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association. Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk.